Hello, and welcome to the Halftime Orange podcast with me, Brenton Weber. Today, I'm joined by Stephanie Reeves-Milner from Teleperformance. Stephanie is based in the greater Phoenix area in the US, so out in the desert, and she is a global customer experience and strategy executive. She's also a consultant and a community impact advocate. And today we're going to discuss the transformation economy. We're going to discuss the voice of customer industry, especially after the massive Qualtrics um, valuation and their IPO. Um, We are going to be looking at a few pain points that people may be experiencing um, on their adoption of customer experience into their organization, especially leaders. And we're going to touch a little bit about siloing and how much of a kryptonite it is for customer experience. So without further ado, let me introduce you to Stephanie. Stephanie Reeves Milner, welcome to the show. How are you? Great. How are you? Yeah, I'm really good. I'm 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 hoping that this episode is going to be a proof that the outcome trumps the journey because we've had a, <laughs> we've, had a we've had a tough journey to get here with fate getting in yeah, the way. We have um, indeed. Yes, for sure. So I appreciate you having me and your diligence and uh, us continuing to pursue this conversation. Oh, I, I appreciate your graciousness and patience. So yeah, um, I'm, I'm, we can blame all sorts of things. We can blame all Auckland traffic or uh, or or slow internet connection. But I, th- I also think we're probably talking exactly when we should talk. As I well. agree with it absolutely. All in perfect timing. Because because gosh, the world's moving fast. The world of customer experience just got a whole lot bigger. Yes. Um, two weeks ago. Ipsos, uh, um, uh, Qualtrics. Oh, and gotcha. And massive, uh, you know, what 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 business thought was a $13.4, $13.5 billion industry, you know, including the likes of Qualtrics, Medallia, Maritz, and their IPO two weeks ago. Apparently, Qualtrics is worth $15 billion on its own, which which means the industry as a whole probably, the software industry as a whole got a whole lot bigger um good news for our industry though because it means that people are paying attention to the value of what we're doing how how are you seeing how are you seeing that value being welcomed in the world um you know how are you seeing leaders start to really embrace the potential of what customer experience promises I think I think you make a really good point about kind of how big and it, it defines just where we're headed because data is really that new economy, right? I mean, that is what we've been talking about big data for a long time, but it's been this kind of like thing that sits outside, kind of like defining the cloud, right? What does that mean exactly? And how do I use it? And how do I position it? Um, but data becomes more critical with the customer journey as we look at how do we position it? How do we use it? But more importantly, um, how do we take data scientists to dig into the content and really use it to leverage the whole experience in a more holistic way versus just looking at it from a very linear and structured approach, which I think we've done a lot of in the past, right? Um, The customers definitely evolved. Their expectations have evolved. And with this um, COVID situation, um, people were super patient in the beginning about what they wanted their journey to look like because they were recognizing that there's a lot of human 
um, this behind the digital journey, but now they're losing their patience because, you know, they are, they've been at home, they're, they're still at home and they want what they want when they want it. And they're seeing other companies deliver on it. And so they expect everyone to be able to do the same, regardless of vertical. What are your thoughts? Well, that, that's right. I mean, the, 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 the digital native now is everyone, you mm-hmm. know, grandma, grandma's online. Um, Absolutely. Like we've, 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 we're talking to people and, and a lot of people, include we agree that, that we've almost transformed five years in one year from from a business perspective, like the, the embracing of virtual teams, which has been around for years. You know, we were talking about it in the 2000s, about this being a panacea for so many ills. And now we've had forced transformation that probably boards and leadership were thinking was maybe five years away. Um, and we've got a evolved digital population that are five years more evolved than they were before. And they're all getting these experiences online. And companies need to realize that they're being judged against every single digital experience that they've got. Like when they're worrying about the number of, like how many clicks should be involved? We, we record this podcast on Squadcast. And um, they've been having quite a lot of issues recently. They've put quite a lot of extra steps in like clicks. And they, they, they certainly don't realize that, that we're being judged against the one-click world with, you know, once, you, once you're recognized, we're expecting to go exactly where we want right away. And every time it doesn't happen, it's just that difference seems to get amplified. And it's great for the companies that are really putting time into it. But, uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's changing fast. And companies, there's retailers in the UK that didn't even have a digital plan. I think it was Primark. It's interesting, isn't it? Right. So you see, so in the US, we've got something similar. I mean, you've got um, Sam's Club and Target who had really stepped into the idea of where the digital journey was going and made a huge investment in that. And they're seeing that um, inside of this environment now, right? I mean, you've got... Mm. The, the delivery models that they've got, they they have that they were completely prepared for people to drive up and and have delivery into the car. So that touchless engagement, um, really catering to the customer from that perspective. The way you navigate their apps also considered all of those things. So back to your like one click simplified experience um, and that expectation, then journeys over into other retail experiences. Absolutely. I mean, even I mean, let's just talk about what Uber was able to create, what, what they create was able to, was, was truly phenomenal, but the, but then reality, the taxi um, could have probably kept up if maybe they had a digital strategy, right? There was no digital mm-hmm. strategy. There was no app. There's no ease inside of, of uh, really connecting with your taxi driver unless you're, you know, raising your hand in you know, a New York City style, the right? The status quo was like, we know that there's these pain points for the customers, but we're all going to yes. ignore them. And yes. we're going to kind of agree that this pa- these painful points are just part of the customer journey. And, yes. you know, we decide what that's going to be. Gosh, that opens up room for innovators and disruptors to come right the way through and go, there is a massive pain point. How do we get rid of that pain point? Because we can, anybody can play catch up. Like I think that's the dangerous thing about this, these, these really large um, valuations for these voice of customer platforms. I mean, they all seem to be, there's, there's one guy in Spain that I think that you and I both know that I would hope would be really very, pleased about what's going on because he's the only one that seems to be 
evolving voice of customer away from text-based surveys, which is Customerville, the, the beautiful surveys, the surveys that literally get 60% 15-minute conversations going left and right. Like that's, that's developing insights. It's, uh, like he, I would hope that he's um, eyeing this, thinking, well, I have, I have a tool that is better at engaging during the engagement measurement process. Like, are these big billion-dollar companies now, are they going to get to a size where they're so big that they can't be nimble and change with a second generation that may be picture-based? Or dare I say a third generation of voice of customer platforms that may be video-based? Like this video ask in Spain. But what, if, what about an animated version of Customerville? You know, it was animated. We need engagement, right? That's where it becomes valuable. That's where a voice of customer platform becomes really valuable because when we're engaged with the people that we're talking to, when we're listening to them, when we're paying them attention and we're ready to listen and we're, we're available, well, then they want to talk to us and they want to give us all of their thoughts and dreams about because they don't, they don't want our company to fail. If they've tied themselves to our future, it's a pain in the ass to look for a new supplier. Right. Right. Well, and you think about it, where it all started from, like from a standpoint of before we were really doing um, a great job with surveys and evolving into what you're talking about right now, we used to what, pull our teams off the phone and sit them down because it was, was voice at one time, right? There was none of this other digital engagement. And we'd say, Hey, what are you hearing from the customer? What are they saying? What do you think we should change? Right. And now we've actually got to the point where we can say to the customer, Hey, what do you not enjoy about the journey? What do you think we should change? But we're not listening. Right. I mean, we're asking the questions, but a lot of times I know for me as a customer, I am all in for taking all the surveys because I'm really curious about how do they ask the question? What questions do they ask? Do they ever re-engage with me to say, you know what? I heard you. And as a premium customer inside of this brand and your spend level, um, we wanted to let you know we heard you and here's some of the changes that we're making. Or even if they just did overall feedback to me that said, hey, I talked to you and several other people and, you know, here's what we're doing just in general from the surveys that we received and, and the difference in the changes that we're going to make. Because even mm. when they deliver changes, right, as a brand across any vertical, they don't necessarily tell us why they made the change. Do you know what I mean? Um, so it's not like you have a, a, a car company saying, you know, the reason that we added more cups is because we heard you, moms, that you need 10 different cup holders, you know, inside of, <laughs> inside of your, you know, not just your minivan, but if you're going to have yeah, a yeah. sedan, Easily you need that too, right? Yeah. wipe downable surfaces. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. But I, I, I think that there's a, there's not just a disconnect to your point of like the buttons that you push and the simplifying the process, but there's also a disconnect between when this, the process gets simplified, letting the customer know what's been done and how to better use it. They Obviously, when you use the product, you're looking at it from a standpoint of um, how, how simple is it for me to just use it, and it's intuitive, clearly. But I think there's also a gap between I heard you and I, right? I mean, people want to feel value. They want mm-hmm. to be heard. And in this environment where we're not heard because we're sitting alone, or at home with the same people even we more. talk to and see every day, <laughs> even more right? It's even more important. Absolutely. So well, I think we've seen that over the last um, 12 months, at least, is that there's been this growing value in human connection, like what we've been missing. Um, the human connections as well, I think live lives have become more 
We used to have this thing where we were trying to balance two separate lives and that's what yes. work-life balance was. Yes. And now it's become, well, how do we find balance in our life with work and life together? Yes. Like it's, different, it's a different balancing act that we've had to become proficient at and, and that's also meant that we've, we've I think we've reached that, I think we're reaching a f- almost forced understanding of ourselves. A lot of people who I'm speaking to are finding, you know, the, the, the levels of stress that they've gone through over the last year has almost created some forced transformation. It's forced them to look like, especially if, if you're at the point where you think, oh, whoops, this might break, um, then that's the point where you're seeking um, the betterment. Right. And I, that's, that's a really good point because let's talk about where digital really integrates into your life. So for example, the other day I needed groceries, but I had calls all day long and I put in a specific time where I needed them to deliver. So you've got my, I'm on digital, I'm placing my order. I have a chat that comes up to ask if I need any support. So that's one level of engagement. But then when the delivery came, um, the person texted me to let me know that, you know, where they were 10 minutes away and was I going to need some support in getting the the groceries from, you know, their car into my home. Okay. That seems like a really simple thing to ask. It's not part of, you know, it wasn't a, a bot. This was, was the person directly could tell it came straight from their phone. Um, that w- meant something to me that they that they represented their brand from a place that said, um, since you've had your stuff delivered and you've gotten some rather big items, a little, a little bit heavier, Perhaps you need another step into getting it into your home. So back to like where that digital journey meets the human touch, those are Mm. critical intersections. And I don't know in those surveys, are we looking at it from a whole scope? Are we breaking it down a little bit? Because if you ask me from an NPS standpoint, what I recommend, what you probably need to know is where in the journey did I recommend and where did the journey did I stop recommending? Do you know what I mean? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, I, I I think we should be better at inferring whether somebody's a promoter or a detractor from the conversation that we're having. Um, one thing that we've we've also noticed, and this was brought to our attention by somebody who'd been right been involved as one of the I think it was Maritz, it could have been Medali as one of their foundation clients, so that they could work together hand in glove to uh to to create a system that could get the output that was of importance to them. And he said that over the last few years, he's, he's realized that we're potentially asking the MPS question is, it is where we're asking it is incredibly damaging to us being able to connect emotionally with our customers. Because as soon as you ask somebody to grade something with a number, you disengage the emotional aspect of the brain and you engage the analytical aspect of your brain. So all of a sudden you lose the insight into that 80% of underneath the the human-to-human relationship, which is the emotional stuff. 80% of our decisions are made on the emotional. So if we've got a – we need to have measurement tools that are really good at mining that hidden 80%, I would would think. That's got to be where the evolution needs to move towards. Absolutely. And if you think of it, what popped in my head was, um, you know, go to the hospital and um, they try to take like the question of like, what's your pain level? And they try to evolve that, you know, into the little emojis that show you little faces to say like how much, what's your level of pain? Um, And even in doing that, there's a disconnect, right? Because my level of pain versus someone else's and my tolerance for pain doesn't really indicate 
um, a, a like for like, right? Because you're back to the conversation earlier about your expectations. My tolerance for a bad customer experience might be higher if I haven't been exposed to something else that's so much better that I even know how to compare it and look at it. So maybe your NPS score looks fantastic, or maybe your customer feedback looks good, but you don't even know where it's broken because you are not comparing like for like against someone who's actually had. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, I, I, because it's because it's a good way of disconnecting the emotional side of the brain. I can see it actually being quite valuable in a patient situation where you are dealing with pain. It may be quite um, might be the perfect question to be asking because if it can disengage that emotional fear side of you and get you thinking in numbers. But is that what we want to be doing with customers or or, right. what, or humans that we're trying to understand right. the reasons behind why they're doing business with us or where yes. we fit into their lives? Exactly. It's like time for customer experience. What what other and and you know maybe maybe you don't see anymore, but what 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 other pain points are there in the customer experience world that we could be focusing on? Like is ROI one of those areas that we're historically not so great at linking to? Is that why we some companies struggle to get leadership buy-in. There, I'll reframe the question. Why are so many companies still struggling to get leadership buy-in on customer experience, improvement, and transformation? I think at this point, we, despite the fact that you're seeing an ever-increasing definition of the role of a chief customer officer, chief success officer, you know, chief experience officer, you're seeing you know that that role evolve more, and you're actually seeing the definition of that role evolve more. Where previously that what that didn't even exist, right? Um, in the meantime, though, we're we're still in a position where we're not defining inside of the roles of each organization. Um, that each person is individually, regardless of department, responsible for that customer journey and, res- and, and what the implications of that responsibility is and how that delivery influences the overall right value of that brand to the customer. And then, and then of course, looking at it from a standpoint of, you know, your job doesn't exist without that customer. Mm-hmm. I mean, do you think differently? No, I I fully agree. I was going to ask you from your experience. Um, you this is what you do. You help companies engage more with the process with customer experience. So, what are what are some ways that other people that I think you know, for instance, we we focus on lifetime value a lot in our industry, and that's something that conveniently takes a lifetime for us to kind of be able to put our value to. A lot of our uh, um, predictions tend to come after the fact, and as opposed to having predictable, measurable um, outcomes that we can then kind of put an ROXI. I think we've also got the fact that a lot of CX investment is done without the need for an ROI. Because it's it's done at capital investment level, so so it's just something that we have to do. It's part of our IT infrastructure. It's part of our CX tech stack. Mm-hmm. So we don't have to associate uh, an ROI with it. And yet, I would say a lot of those leaders are thinking, "Well, we're still investing. We might we might not need an ROI, but we've we've just spent half a million dollars this year, and that's for a, that's for a large New Zealand company. You know, with a small population here. But if they're not seeing what an ROI is and there's other people saying we've got this 
to discuss that has got an ROI associated with it. Um, I think that that's part of the reason why some leaders are struggling um, to get there. I also think the MBA, uh, from what I know of the MBA structure, it's still quite non-customer centric in the way that it sees the future of business being run. Right. Well, I mean, if you look at it from a standpoint of, um, let's say we define the the customer journey as part of the the marketing scope, right? I think sometimes we we extract it and we and we are asking ourselves like, what's the value of marketing? But you put a billboard up or you run an ad, you're not going to be able to tie it directly back necessarily to those things, and yet we don't we don't demolish our marketing team, right? No, so no, well, you've, got the, you've got that old marketing adage, you know. I, I know my advertising is working, I just don't know which half. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah. So it's interesting when we try to say, okay, let me see what the value of me taking an extra couple of minutes to take care of the customer or investing a little bit more in the digital strategy. We're starting to actually see now with these other organizations where they've made that investment or increasing loyalty. Um, and as a result of increased loyalty and, and, and um, making the digital journey simplified, we're seeing their stock prices go up and their share of the market increase. And so that ROI is being demonstrated in other organizations who are executing there. So if you can't find your way to yes, find it internally, right. how about you look at who's doing it great and how they're seeing the, the results be delivered for them financially, right? Yeah, we've got, we've got some brilliant models that we've collected from books and like a, a modest increase in retention in, re, in the real world looking at two software as a service companies. And one had an 80% retention rate and the other had a 92% retention rate. So it's still very high retention rates. You'd be pretty happy with 80% retention rates, a lot of companies. Um, they were both valued at a million dollars um, at the year one. But with that retention rate, that modest, in real terms, 15%, they were worth 300% more five years later than the company with uh, the, the slightly less retention rates. So with all of this proof out there, why that? Why, why, why are people not just embracing um, customers? It's scary though, isn't it? It's scary. It's, and it's also difficult to think like a customer when you're stressed. Right. And change and change is uncomfortable for everyone, right? I mean, there's a lot of people who are inside of organizations, especially the traditional organizations, who have marched to a certain drum for so long to move away from that becomes uncomfortable. And then when the marketplace is so um, unstable, let's call it, right, where it's it's constantly evolving, what I sometimes find is that the the client will say, I know that I can make X percentage of impact and influence if I stay steady state here. I'm being required to deliver at this percentage of improvement. If I make all of these changes right now, I don't know how I'm still going to hit those numbers next year. I don't know that I can definitely deliver at this level. And my discomfort with change and possible failure is higher than my willingness to step out there and be a leader in the marketplace, right? Mm -hmm. And so that constant um, dance between where they want to position themselves um, as an individual, as a as a leader inside the organization, and where they want to position the brand as leader or not inside of the marketplace um, is 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 an ongoing an ongoing thing. Yeah, the the companies that that, that you're referring to, it seems uh, the the ones that are really succeeding um, with their customers, the with their stock prices are going up. 
there seems to be a common theme with them. They seem like companies that really understand their customers, that really understand the impact that their product or service makes as well on their customers, not just the company-centric reason. Um, so it's got to it's got to change, hasn't it? With with leaders looking for change and having this this forced transformation on them with the new economy that's ahead, then the the future's bright. So that absolutely, that, um, those valuations are probably all right, aren't they? <laughs> they're they're. I mean, it's fun to watch, Not right? I mean, it's what I think, but you know, it's still it's uh, it's such it's such a fascinating um, place to be watching at the moment. Absolutely. It is fascinating. And it's so fun to be a part of it, right? Because yeah. um, the, it's it's constantly moving forward. It's so dynamic. It's always evolving. And so as soon as you think you figured it out, it shifts just a little bit and just enough to make you step back and have to relearn um, a little bit. Even if you're the leader in the marketplace and you're the one who's driving these changes, you're still always learning, right? There, No one is stable and still number one. Right. And that's what's also so wonderful about what this is all about is there's so many different ways to shift, change and tweak, um, pull different levers um, to deliver. And I think those who continue to stay number one are the ones that are willing to have made some mistakes. Um, even at number one, right? I think that the ones that have really, really slipped are the ones who got to number one, got comfortable and thought, this is enough. I don't have to take those kinds of risks anymore. And then as a result, some other player said, well, then I will, and then stepped up and you know advanced beyond what, what they, where they were, right? So that's been yeah. an interesting thing to watch as well. Yeah, because if you're standing still, generally you'll you can be you can be the only one who is standing still. <laughs> exactly, exactly, right. I mean, you can't stand on the podium with your trophy at number one for very long. I mean, no, you got to no, step down. That's right. You got to step back down and start training all over again, right? And find yourself the best the the best coach and and deliver and from it with a team that supports your your success and, and not get arrogant around what you were able to do the, the one time, right? So. It's, it's very interesting to watch that. And I think part of that transformation, we were talking earlier about, you know, the, the overall journey inside of the organization includes the employee experience, right? So it can't so just, you can't just simplify the customer's experience. You've got to simplify the employee's experience in terms of how easy or hard is it for the employee to make recommendations? How easy or hard is it for the employee who is um, navigating the tool themselves when they interact with the customer? Um, are we listening to them? Because if we then empower them, we give them the tools to be happy as well. Then we go back to, like you said, you've got your customer uh, retention, but now it's the employee retention. There seems to be a significant correlation too to those top players with their internal retention as well, right? So now you've got a brand that's just completely embraced both by the employees and the customers and everyone is advocating for their support. Right, exactly. And everybody wants that win. Like you said, if you are invested in that brand, whether you are the inside of the the brand or on the outside using the product, um, then I mean, and everyone's listening to both sides of that house and trying to find that balance. I mean, obviously you can't do everything for everyone. That's never going to happen. But when you prioritize, um, you create conversation, you demonstrate that they're valued, you do some execution where you can, and you keep moving forward to progress to be um, an innovator instead of your marketplace, it's amazing what can be can be accomplished. Yeah, well, you look at the likes of Apple. Yes. And we're just so trusted inside and out. And even even people who aren't, spending money with them 
it's they've they've got they've got the they've got the uber fans they do they do and i i was just listening again i don't know how many times i've listened to it to simon sinek's talk about you know mm. what apple is and how they present themselves in the marketplace because every time i listen to it i think about something new right um but it's so true about you know apple really says um differently how they deliver and it creates this mindset of I am that person who invests in this product and I want them to be successful. So I'm willing to give them feedback and be an advocate for them. And there's whole communities, right? There's community boards where if you have issues with their product, a community of Apple advocates will help you. You don't even always have to go you know, to the organization directly, which is a, a phenomenal thing for, for that brand. I think you actually put your finger on a pain point. Right there. And it's a pain point that we identified. I identified in my own approach a couple of years ago. Was, I was trying to, it was after watching the Simon Sinek video and then reading his book. And it was like, this, this Christmas, I'm going to work on my why. And I couldn't, like, I always thought employee experience and customer experience was fully intertwined. And I was, all right, what's our why? It's to improve the lives of humans inside and outside organizations. Well, these aren't the only humans. There's also managers. Their experience is vital. They've got lives. They've got families. They're, they're in this role to, to deliver their own outcomes in life. You've got leader experience and you've got your owner or shareholder or financial experience. Like all of those things, we should be trying to aim for a point where they are all winning. It's a win, 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 win situation, including for society or for non-customers. And if you do that, you've all of a sudden got this bulletproof future. Um, and it's, but it's all got to be on an aesthetic. It's breaking down of silo. I, I say that siloing is the kryptonite of customer experience. Well, the EX world and the CX world are siloed in many ways. And that is limiting the success in human experience that we're all using the same neuroscience for all of our theories about engagement we're all still it's still the, the the same neuroscience that you and i had when we were on the savannah and um you know cavemen um it's still the same dopamine reward system that we've got but in, in a much more modern world so there's a massive opportunity for companies to understand that and to look at this as a whole as a human experience how do we make this company win for all the humans yes i love that question i I mean, I think that's a great question to, to position, you know, how, how do we make this product work for all the humans? How do we make this experience the best it can be for all the humans? How do we simplify the experience for all the humans? And then how do we make sure all the humans engaged loved the experience, right? I mean, maybe that's, <laughs> that's not a survey, well, we didn't have a survey, but I like, I like that, yeah. you know, that's kind of what I was saying, but said differently. And I, I, yeah, I, I appreciate that. I think that, that I think you know we don't even the the biggest crime is not even that we don't always love the experience that we have with people. But one thing I'd love to come to an end of is when people are exchanging their most valuable of resource, whether it's time or money, um, that they come away feeling at least not worse. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Like love's great. We should aim for love, but for goodness sake, stop making your employees feel a little worse when they're swapping their most valuable time with you. Yes, absolutely. And I and I think especially like you said, when you're trying to find your balance, you're living all at home, time is such a critical 
critical part of what you're, it's a gift. You know what I mean? Yeah. If you are giving your time to a brand, that is a gift to them. So how am I honoring that gift? Yes, definitely. Um, how can you amplify that gift as well? Because not yes. only are we looking at time now, but it's, I think we've all become, a, we've realized that we haven't got enough time to do everything that we yes. would love to do. So we're having to, we're looking for for ways of of doing things at scale or shortcutting. We're, I think we're all in a much more transformational mindset. Yes. I mean, you talked about going back to the fundamentals and reading the old stuff in those old videos. The Experience Economy by um, Pine and Gilmore, which is like a, you know, one of those fundamental tomes um, that's on many um, CX professionals, library walls. Um, I've recently gone back to that and I forgot that there was the prediction after the experience economy of the transformational economy. Um, which they predicted for 2025, I believe. And that Here we was are. companies yeah. go beyond being, you know, I guess if you're an experienced company, then you are um, trade. Uh, it's the feelings of your customers that get by engagement that you're charging for in a way. And the, But the transformational company, which I'm seeing in so many successful areas, it's the it's the players in an industry that step up and understand the transformational aspect of their business that seem to have those growing share prices that you talk about. What, what other signs of the growth in the transformational economy are you seeing or witnessing or feeling? Gosh, um, the signs of it, I... That's a great question. I, I'm going to bounce it back to you first because I want to think a little bit more about how I want to answer that. Because I, I think that we, I was talking to one of my colleagues, Jeanette Baker, and we were talking about transformation and we were talking about the transformation experience and how so many people define it differently, right? And so how almost drilling down to your definition of the transformation experience is, is really critical inside your organization inside of what's happening in your industry and against your competition. Um, so that that's where I would have to start in this conversation, if that makes sense. Yeah, I, I guess the simple definition of a transformation business, according to the book, would be um, a company or a business that charges for the benefit customers or guests receive. So it's much more invested in the outcome than in the journey itself. Um, like I think, you know, I've I've certainly, I think we spend a lot of time on pretty customer journey maps, which are really important. Um, but we, some companies spend all their time looking at that, not realizing that it's the outcome that is the most important aspect. From that, you build a great customer journey backwards. But if you start at the most important part for the customer and work backwards, I think that's how you. I know there, there, there are companies that we could mention here that I, I won't do, but I, I look at their competitors and yeah. those people are still focusing on the service. They're still yes. focusing on the features and the benefits of using that product. They're not focusing on the transformational aspect of what their product and service, and yet their competitor who's doing homogenous product, homogenous service really, um, the difference is one really understands their place in the world and they're growing at an alarming rate. Um, and they've come up behind this 
um, local player that had no idea that they even existed because their growth has been so quick. Right. And I, I think that makes a really good point, right? I think I think the part of transformation that needs to be watched is some of some players are, like you said, they're they're looking just where they are and they're just looking forward, but they're not watching what's coming from behind. And although when you drive, you obviously don't look in the rearview mirror all of the time, but you've got to be aware of what's going on around you and how um the mindset is evolving inside of the industry and not just got caught up in like what you've always delivered being enough because transformation is about the idea. And I I know this seems so simple and everybody's going to be like, yes, of course that's the truth, but we get the simple stuff is the stuff that gets broken the fastest, the easiest. And it's always a fundamental stuff that when you break down where a customer situation went wrong, a brand went wrong, where they just completely missed the target, it it generally is not some big, huge thing. It is a fundamental, basic principle of business, right? And I think sometimes transformation is just as simple as, did you execute the basics? I mean, yeah. I know that that seems a little crazy to say out loud, but I am a big advocate of that. Did you execute the basics and the metrics that you're solving for? And like you said, the outcome that you're driving for, are those the ones that matter most? Because sometimes we get caught up in what's flashy and um, seem to be relevant. Uh, mm-hmm. But in fact, they're not going to drive the outcome you're trying to deliver on. And I think that becomes its own big miss. What are your thoughts? Yeah. Well, let's say for a CRM system, a basic CRM system from 10 years ago, um, from a more experienced focused business or a service focused business in that space, it would have been how many how many times people log on, number right. of right. Uh, completed um, cards, number mm-hmm. of, you know, the, the, the reduction of holes in the data. That becomes the 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 non-transformational focus because all of those things, no one's getting a CRM system so that everybody has to do more stuff on it. It's it's the outcome that that has it given you more insight into your customers? Has it given you insight that has allowed you to make a sales strategy that you wouldn't have even thought of before because someone talked about ocean spray on another show. And, you know, this is a good example. This was what a, their voice of customer program showed to them was that although they thought it was a breakfast breakfast drink and that's how everybody was buying it the majority once they started listening to their customers they found that it was an afternoon drink after school it was so it was almost to avoid the temptation of a glass of wine for mums and that's how they were doing it now all of a sudden they could change with that customer understanding that customer insight they could change their communication and lo and behold talking to um, their customers in a more authentic way with some core understanding of how their product was being used and what benefit it was giving them, they could communicate right the way at the beginning of that funnel, for want of a be- better word. Um, it's very siloed what we do, though, I think, in so many organizations, like how many ad agencies receive insights gleaned from customer voice of customer platforms or, or customer surveys? Right. And one, how many ads have you watched sometimes where you have no idea what product they're selling? Right. So you don't, so you don't know what value it brings you because you don't, you not only do you not know what product they're selling, but you don't know what value it brings to you. You get, you get a name recognition, but you don't understand what it's going to do to make your life easier, better, simpler, more enhanced, you know, step you up from to a, to more elite platform inside of your, your 
mindset for society, whatever it is. So I agree. There is definitely uh, can be quite the disconnect. Um, and we had a situation where, to your point, um, there was a, a product that was being positioned as more of an elitist product. Um, and it, although it was resonating when we went back to the customers to try to understand why they enjoyed that particular brand, it was actually because they felt like it was a safer choice for their family. So, um, and a, and a more improved experience for their, for their overall investment for their family. Right. So it's very interesting to your point about, you know, where you start from a marketing perspective, what you think you're offering the market and then what the marketing market wants, and then what they see is your value. So sometimes you can, I, a lot of organizations are, are really committed to like, I'm going to drive the message and you're going to buy into the message I'm delivering. But there are plenty of places where there's a disconnect, as you mentioned, um, where if we took a step back and we listened to the customer, we could position the product in a way that resonated with a greater scope of people. Mm. I, I think that that the, the advertising industry should be asking the, the brands that they serve for what customer insights are you getting out of your voice of customer platform? Like we're being asked to engage with customers on an emotional level. So what emotional insights can we get from you? And maybe that's happening. Maybe just the parts of the industry that I was exposed to. Again, I can imagine that creatives get a lot more information than the people placing it um, would get. Um, generally, when I was in advertising, it was all about the what people were, the demographics instead of who they actually were and, and, and what was important to them. And you are seeing some of the, I mean, the better players in the marketplace do absolutely have between their ad agencies, their marketing team, their operations team, and their technical delivery, and then you know, their frontline customer care. Uh, they they are more integrated, right? Um, and that has definitely made an impact on that over, overall customer satisfaction versus when they function in more of a, a silo approach. Yes, but, you know, that's down those silo walls, take a big sledgehammer and get rid of it. I think siloing of purpose, siloing of thinking, you know, everyone knows about to look for siloing of data, but often it's the siloing of thinking in each department. That's why it's why I one free tip for anybody um, to just become a little bit more customer centric. Work on a customer centered mission statement, because if you've got something like that, even if a team member is pretty grumpy with their manager, see that's it. when it, when a company centric mission statements, we um we get grumpy with a company that we work for occasionally as as because life happens um, but if it's a customer centric mission when most people are never grumpy with their customers if they're reminded um that they are if they if they know that that's the most important relationship there is so that should be at the very core of mission statements people think mission statements are oh that was the 80s you know the, the early 90s they were really useless i don't think there was anything wrong with the the mission statements i think the problem was the 80s and the 90s <laughs> to be honest um we should bring we should bring well thought out customer centric mission statements back I yeah, and within not just for the company, but then how do the the mission statement within you know the teams right that support the company because you have to know what your role is inside of that mission statement. I know that also seems very simple, but again, it goes back to a fundamental breakdown of where things stop working is when you don't understand your role in delivering on that mission, and you um, don't right? have that in the star. Definitely. Um, I was, I'm, I'm starting to ask people because I think some value that listeners could get out of this is from experts who have been doing this a long time. Oh boy, what? What are, what, uh, just give us a tip. Like, what's your number one tip 
to help a company become a little bit more customer centric, to value their customer experience without any investment? Be the customer. I know that seems super simple, but a lot of times executives will be there, a customer inside of an organization as the executive. So they have such a just different <laughs> experience <laughs> than their actual consumer, right? Um, so go in and be your own customer and see what it's like. What is it like to go on your website and order as just Stephanie Milner, right? Versus, you know, yeah. you as a C-level or you as the EVP or whoever that is. What is it like to get delivered it? What if you have an issue and need to return it? Um, is that something you're taking care of right now? Or is your admin doing that for other companies? You know, be as engaged as possible in the actual experience of your product that you can be so that you know where those breakdowns are occurring. And if you get a chance, um, sit with some people who are taking the calls, they're doing the chats, that are responding to social media, um, because it's one, a very humbling experience. It reminds you of all of the people and infrastructure that's there to support the overall brand. Um, but it also gives you a truly emotional connection with what's happening inside of that uh, customer journey and the employees that support them. Yeah, definitely. When I worked on the Subway account, we had to spend a day learning what the process was, learning how to make a, a, a sub. And it was it was great. You needed that experience. You needed that window into the most important relationship inside any organization, the one between the customer and the customer service representative. Absolutely. So great tip. Thank you very much. For those that have enjoyed our banter and um, would love to reach out to you, what, who would you like to hear from and for what reason and how can we help you have an even better 2021 by introducing you to the right people. Thank you for asking. Well, I always love to connect with anybody who has a passion for CX um, leadership and who are interested in um, really investigating how they themselves can take their customer journey to next level through um, our organization. And um, really appreciate all those connections with people who have a, a big heart for, for serving in the business community. That's wonderful. Well, we'll put anything that you would like us to put in the show notes um, so people can reach out to you. So at least your profile will have there. And um, Stephanie, thank you so much for being guest to, to explore CX with. Thank you. I appreciate it. I really appreciate you having me and uh, best wishes to you uh, for a great afternoon. Cool. Did we get the good outcome? I know the journey, we've talked about that um, rough journey to begin with. So did we? do you think that we nailed the outcome? I think you're a better uh, you're a better person to say yes or no to that because you're the one who's hosted lots of different people. What are your thoughts? Are you pleased with it? Oh, I, I am. I have to say, usually we've got the producer here, and I'm 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 overcritical of myself, so I'm okay. the worst person to ask whether it is because I've got all the thoughts in my head and I re I know all the questions that I didn't ask, right? Um, and I went off on tangents, but I thoroughly enjoyed it, and I, I certainly enjoyed it. I I, th I think the listeners will enjoy it too. So thank you again. You have a, have a wonderful rest of your day. Absolutely. My, my pleasure. I'd like to take this opportunity to thank you for listening today. I hope you got some really solid value out of the conversation. If you did get some value, please consider subscribing using any of the links below. We are on all major podcast platforms. And feel free to reach out to me on LinkedIn or via our website, www.halftimeorange.co.nz. Look forward to speaking with you next time.